Hello my friend and welcome to What the Fuck Are You Doing? Episode 3. So this is a special episode that I filmed with DubFX. And I first met DubFX when he was touring around Europe. He's from Australia, he was touring around Europe, he was busking on the street, selling CDs for a fiver, living in a van, and when he made enough money from one city, he would move on to the next city. And he toured the whole of Europe doing this for months on end, maybe even years, I think a couple of years he did this. And over the course of this, he built up a network of fans. Um, and he now flies all over the world for gigs. He gets flown um, to festivals and gigs all over the world. He manages himself. He does all his own record label stuff. He is completely independent, um, but he is a fully fledged established artist. So super interesting guy. Um, I did this interview backstage at a festival in Australia, so it's a little bit different to the normal podcast, uh, but we had a really good chat about what it takes to be an independent artist and what people expect from independent artists and how, how it works for him, basically. So this is episode three of What the Fuck Are You Doing? And I hope you enjoy my interview with DubFX. What do you attribute your success now to through the years? Is it the busking itself? Is that where... You really? I think there's a lot of different things that happen, but definitely busking was the catalyst because I, I probably sold about a hundred. I know I sold more than a hundred thousand CDs in the first four years okay. of busking from 2006 to 2010. I, I sold over a hundred thousand CDs, and I mean I was selling a lot, like a hundred a day for like four days a week. It was crazy, and that was before Facebook or YouTube pretty much existed. Like I remember when Facebook and YouTube came on the scene. And then I had a, a viral, sort of, couple of viral videos around 2009. Yeah. And they started, I think that was also because so many people were like, that's that dude I saw, and they wanted to show their friends. And because it's that, that, that early on, it was, you know, sharing stuff was a different world, yeah. you know, and people were really into it and showing each other. And so I just had the, and it was the perfect formula, I guess, because what I do wouldn't work if you just heard it. You need to see it visually and see me like loop it up because it's very transparent in that way. So it was just uh, right time, right place. And I guess also the lyrics for some reason hit a lot of people as well because might not have been a lot of conscious music going at that time in that sort of genre. Street performing, you know, like beatboxing, looping. There's a lot of different thing elements that threw together and it just kind of did its thing. And now obviously I live off the social media thing more than the street performing and I do the touring. And I just kind of evolved with the, the, the times, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when did you realise social media was that important and did it affect the way you approached it? Yeah, it took a while because I, I didn't take it very seriously at first. Um, even when I started going viral with YouTube, it was like that wasn't even, I didn't film any of those videos. I didn't organise it and they weren't even on my YouTube channel. I didn't open my own YouTube channel until 2012. Right, so three years later. Yeah, and by that point, all the hits went on the other videos, and so my YouTube channel is terrible. It's got like barely any subscribers. Whereas the guy that put up the two tunes that went um, viral, he's got like nearly 200,000 subscribers. I've got like 40. Yeah, yeah. 40,000. So, you know, but and my Facebook's blown up. That's all right. So I've got like over 600,000 Facebook fans. And um, so that kind of, that's kind of now I realize the importance of that because when I get booked for festivals, it's like gold, it's like waiting gold, you know, like for Facebook fans is what they, how they price you. They say you're worth this much because you've got that many fans. 
and also bands and down followers. So social media now is more important than it was when it was just came on the scene. Yeah, sure. So it plays, a, you know, now obviously I've got to make, try and get as many social media hits as I can, likes as much as possible. It's kind of part of the game. Yeah, so um, I guess my question on that is, how did you find your your voice or choose how much of your life to put through social media? I feel like as long as you're genuine and truthful, it doesn't matter how little or how much you do as long as it's genuine you know what I mean I don't think people can spot bullshit from a mile away you know especially with social media because it's so raw it's not like TV where there's you know everything's edited and everyone's got covered in makeup and you know social media it's designed to be raw and it's better that way and so I try to I mean I'm trying to get I don't try to get there's a lot of personal stuff in my life that I would never talk about online okay. but the main thing I use it for really is sharing music that I like when I'm going to go on tour and what goes on on tour and in my personal life sometimes I do a couple of things but it's I find that doesn't really people don't really get into that so much I just try to yeah just information but also like things about you know that are going on in the world I try to promote that like I, I've had some pretty hardcore debates like talking about things like white privilege and, talk, and like standing rock and things that are like are important to me and a lot of people are like oh, what are you talking about it's like I feel like I've got a platform, I might as well say what I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's what I was asking about really, is those debates you've had. Because a lot of artists would just steer clear of that. Yeah. But I guess you're not afraid to use the platform. The funny thing is, like, when I had, I had this thing about white privilege, and I wasn't trying to tell people about white guilt, I wasn't trying to make everyone guilty or anything, I was just trying to show that, because I've, I've acknowledged that there's so many things, like, in our lifestyle, like, for example, the one thing that really hit me, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, is that is, that I'm, I have the privilege to have a career making music, and that's because of my white privilege growing up in a middle-class society, and, you know, people who came in, in Jamaica, who came up with reggae music, they weren't doing it, they never had the choice, oh, I'm going to become a superstar, or, or Greg, that was their outlet for frustration, because they had some shitty job, and they never thought they would ever go anywhere, and most of those guys got ripped off by their labels and never made any money, you know, whereas I've got a totally different spin on it, and, like, and it took me years to realise that, and it took me years, years to realise why, you know, people of colour would find it offensive that someone like me would come along and make some reggae music and be like, what, Juan? And I was like, but what, I'm, 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 I'm good vibes, but it's like, nah, man, like, cultural appropriation is, is it's, it's fine in some context, but in, if you don't really know, like, if you don't really acknowledge, like, the roots of things, then I feel like you're, you're kind of not, you're doing a disservice to the culture. Um, I'd like to talk about the kind of crowdfunding aspect. Like, how did you find that as a musician? And did your social media community really fuel that? Okay, so I did a, uh, kick, uh, no, kick, a pledge campaign for my last, not this album, but yeah, before that. To be honest, man, if I was to be completely honest, I feel like Facebook is, is kind of gone down the train. It's like they... There's, they, there's some algorithms going on in there that stops certain things from being shared and seen, even no matter how much you pay for it, you know? And um, I used to have, that, like I said, I got 600,000 fans on Facebook, but if I let everyone know that I have a new album, you'd think that I could make a million dollars overnight, but I can't 
because it goes down to a very minimal amount of people. And even if I pay as much as I can, it still doesn't go to my full reach of fans. Um, it's just, it's designed that way. It's just, I think it's, I feel like it's people's a conspiracy to bring back the heavyweights of TV, radio, publicists, things that used to be the the only way that people could find out about stuff and then social media came along and obliterated that people like me were able to build up a fan base from street performing that I built organically I didn't pay for any of my likes um, and then I've got this group of people that I can sell stuff to they're like nah what if everyone starts doing that we need to flip that so some algorithm goes in there so now we have to go back to the old school thing so this last album that I made I went through publicists and I and I'm you know I'm, I'm, I've got distributed through a label we put money into advertising and we've gone the old way because there's no way you're going through it so in a way I'm a little bit I don't really believe in this um, the, the, the pledge campaign the kickstarter thing because it's I don't know. You need. It, you still need to pay for advertising. It doesn't really work as well as yeah. it would have. It would if. Imagine if they didn't have those algorithms. It'd be amazing. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. I don't know how you want to answer this, but as an artist these days and like independent, basically, pretty much, where does your income come from? Mainly? My income comes from touring. Okay. So yeah, the ninety percent of my money comes from shows. Album sales is is not that good, but. Um, Album, artists never really made money from albums back in the day. Even when they were tied to a major label, they were they were lucky to be getting ten percent. And that's uh, and then that ten, first of all, that ten percent would pay for the million dollars that they gave them to pay for the album. So artists never made money from albums. So when Napster and downloading came along, the labels are the ones that got pissed off. The artists didn't give a shit because hey, I, if it wasn't for downloading, I wouldn't be touring. Yeah. Because I most of a lot of people downloaded my stuff for free, but then they come into my gig show and then they buy a T-shirt or whatever, and that's so it's great for me. I'm all for piracy. I've got no problem with it, you know. Cool. But um, obviously, and it also gave birth to things like iTunes and now Spotify. And I love Spotify. I think Spotify is incredible. Yes, I don't make much money from album sales, but who ever does? I made a lot of money street performing, and that's hand of mouth, and that's me going out there and selling my product to someone. And if you want to put the hard yards in, you can make money that way. Yeah. But now, yeah, shows is where it's all coming from. Yeah, cool. And um, so even as an established artist now, what would you say are still your biggest struggles? Um, I don't have any problems creative creatively. Like, for some reason, I just tap in and I'm able to be creative really easily. That's not a struggle for me. Produ production is something that I really love doing. Um, during, I mean, I don't really have many struggles. You know, the, the, mon the main struggle... I think is is getting old. That's my only real struggle. Because like the further I go along, you know, the, the less I want to tour and the more money I want to make, like anyone. But it's not that easy. I've chosen a world. I've chosen a lifestyle that I can peak and make a lot of money, but then just you know, with maybe who knows? By the time I'm 40, maybe I, no one's going to want to come and see dumb effects. So I got to try and build myself up. A, enough money to live off and have a, some, something, you know, some residual income and also maybe have a fallback plan. My plan is to produce and write music for other people eventually. Yeah. I feel like my strong point is writing and producing. That's where I feel like my real, and performing of course, but one day I'm not going to be able to do that. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, all right, last one. Uh, just any advice for people that are trying to sort of start on the journey? Yours was what, six, seven years ten ago? Ten years ago. Ten years ago, yeah. fuck. I'm officially old school. Yeah. Because it's ten years. 
I feel like that's that's enough to be old school, right? A decade in the business. Like, I feel old school. <laughs> I would say, I mean, the most the, there's a bunch of things that I've always preached. I mean, you know, without trying to be too preachy, but I think one of the most important things is to to be flexible and to not be rigid with, you know, oh, this is what I do and this is what I'm going to do, and if people don't like it, fuck you. It's like, nah, man. Like, you gotta you gotta be flexible to your surroundings. When I was street performing, I was depending on the kind of place I was in, like if, it was on the, if I was in the UK, I made sure I was doing a lot of dirty, filthy stuff, a lot of filthy bass lines and conscious lyrics and big fat, fat heavy breaks. But if I was street performing in Italy, I usually, I'd have to make things more melodic and, and more nice, you know what I mean? Because it's better there. When I was in Australia, I know that people don't like drum and bass so much, I know people don't really like reggae that much. So I'd base more of my stuff around hip hop when I perform in the street. Anything to sell a CD and to keep moving. So being flexible is important. Also, not having too much of an ego, you know, making friends with your ego. I don't believe in killing your ego. I believe in just making friends with your ego, being able to understand when it's important to, to be slightly narcissistic or whether you, you need to be open to the surroundings around you. It's really important to be flexible in that way as well. And also, um, street perform. If you want to be a musical artist, I think street performing is the best way to become a good performer. Because at the end of the day, when people go and see someone perform, like Tash Sultana or like myself, they want to see someone letting go. And you can't learn to do that unless you perform. And performing in the street is the best place because if people stop and watch, you know you're doing something right. And if people keep walking, you're doing something wrong. That's where flexibility comes in. And you know, you need to do a thousand hours worth of performing. And if you wait to go and do that in a club every time, you might have the most amazing set that works in your bedroom. But then when you go and play it in a club, no one gives a shit. Everyone's like, huh? So that's why I think street performance is really important. If it's electronica, and then obviously there's a whole new other ball game. But that's not where I come from. So I'm not a DJ. I'm not a really a producer. I'm a live performer. So that's all I can really say. Street perform, be flexible. Don't have too much of an ego. Congratulations again. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please rate, comment, subscribe, do whatever you want with the podcast. It all helps. Um, if you have any questions, you know, let me know. And if you have any suggestions of who should be on the podcast, then also let me know. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. Thanks for listening. I will see you in the next episode.